Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. Our guest today is Warren Smithies, and this is a mouthful. So he's the CEO of Martello Group, which is a property real estate management company, and he's the founder and CEO of the Real Estate Owners and Managers Insurance Group, which from now forward, we're going to be calling Romig, but I'll say it one more time, Real Estate Owners Management and Insurance Group, or Romig. Warren's in from Vancouver, so thanks very much. I think you landed late last night, and you're kind of pit stopping to do a recording with us, and then off to, off to Atlantic Canada later today. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. So let's start, as always, with our guests. You know, how'd you get into real estate? Why real estate? Yeah, so my family's been involved in uh, commercial real estate since the 80s. So my dad was uh, deeply involved in an association called the Building Owners and Managers Association, BOMA BC, BOMA Canada, and BOMA International. And when I was a kid, he was part of the executive group of these associations. And so I would travel around the country with him. You know, we'd go to great places like Washington, D.C. and, you know, Dallas and what have you for conventions. Mm. And that was all great and fine as a kid. But then when I started to grow up uh, and started to get involved in the family business, I took my first job in the company when I was 13, pushing yeah. paper and filing and uh, doing all the grunt tasks in the office. So that was a great learning experience for me. And then after I went to university and did a, a diploma in urban land economics from UBC, which I think you guys said you are doing as well right now. Yeah, Aaron is uh, two credits away from finishing. Well, I've been two credits away for about four years. <laughs> yeah, uh, children. Children get, get in the way. Yeah. And and I, I'm, yeah, just, I'm just starting mine. So I, I, I think you, Adam did macroeconomics 101 this year, right? Yes, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's at the very beginning. Yeah, which is a great, by the way, a great program. UBC Dual, look it up. Diploma of Urban Land Economics. If you're interested in growing your education in commercial real estate, that is the number one place to get it in the country. Yeah, yep, I'll put, I'll put sure. a link for reference. Yeah, that is it is fantastic. Sorry, that's not what we're, that's not what we're here for. No, that's so, not what we're yeah. here for. <laughs> uh, keep going. So, so yeah. anyway, so yeah. So I did that program through UBC yeah. and also a finance degree from the University of Northern British Columbia and Prince George. Shout out to anybody who's ever been to Prince George. It's a ways north. Cricket says. <laughs> <laughs> it's in BC. Um, I know that. So anyway, I got that all out of the way. And then when I started in my career, actually similar to uh, when Remco was on the show with you talking about how when he got started, there was it was the collapse of 89 and everybody at the company he was working at got laid off. So he was trial by fire. You know, you get to do everything. For me, it was the same situation in that uh, when I started, I was supposed to be meant or being the junior for a senior commercial property manager. But then unfortunately, the senior had a medical emergency and had to retire immediately. Hmm. And so I was essentially thrown into the pit saying, congratulations, you're a senior, get to work. Now you get to know everything. So the, the battlefield of promotion? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Baptism by fire. I love that. <laughs> I love that learning strategy. So how many, how many units, how many assets was that right off the get-go? Yeah, so I was managing probably about 15 properties on behalf of high net worth individuals. Yeah. And it, it was, was it a, a industrial, great commercial, what kind, of, what kind of assets? Yeah, it was the full mix. So office, okay. industrial, multi-res. So that's retail. neat. So you're getting exposure to basically every, every type of product. Yeah, so exactly. Not, not pigeonholed or shoehorned to just one one asset class. Yeah, you got it. And for what the way Martello operates is our property managers are also involved in leasing. So I got a lot of exposure to the leasing side of the business as well as project management and construction. So really the full breadth of understanding of the industry, which is super valuable. Yeah. Um, so what are you doing day to day for Martello now? So now I'm the CEO. So mm -hmm. I get to, uh, I'm in charge of client development and all of that fun stuff. 
dad still works in the business, okay. although he's starting to move towards retirement now. But uh, that's a transition. I'm sure some of your uh, your guests have talked a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. It seems lots of real estate families keep it in the family. Yeah, my, yeah. my father's a real estate developer, so it, it yeah. is a common story. Yeah. yeah. My dad's a vagabond in Thailand, but let's not go there. <laughs> yes. So so, so in that, how many assets do you, or what, what does Martello's portfolio look like now? Yeah, so we're we're located exclusively in British Columbia and Alberta right now, hmm. and we manage about 5 million square feet of property for high net worth individuals, and that's great. So what I wanted to mention is that when I also first started getting into the business, I kind of took up the torch from my dad, and then I started getting involved in BOMA directly. Mm-hmm. I managed to get uh, elected to the board of directors seven years ago, which was great. And I've been on the board ever since. Just recently got elected to treasurer. So oh, neat. that's given me a really uh, unique perspective from, the, I guess, the lobbying is the wrong term, but integration with government and collaboration in terms of well, dealing with while legislation. While we're here, I, let's, and, not, let's not dwell on it, but why don't you explain kind of what BOMA is and what they do? Sure. BOMA is essentially a collaboration or a group of professional property management companies, some of the largest in Canada. So your landlord here in this building is Manulife. They're a part of BOMA BC. I'm sure they're a part of BOMA Toronto and other big companies as well. TrioVest, Great West Life, you know, the big names that you know, and also smaller names, regional players that you may not know. Yeah. And what's the value for, as a, as a landlord, becoming a member of BOMA? Yeah, I mean, essentially the value is is the working together as a cohesive unit as an industry to promote the best interest and improvement of the industry. So everything from education and licensing to working with governments and improving energy standards in buildings. Yeah, that's what we're And you do on. see, so like we're BOMA certified. So this, this building we're sitting in, what does that mean? Yeah, it means it's gone through a rigorous checklist yeah. and uh, succeeded in reducing emissions and water waste and all of that good stuff. So great. And we get a fancy plaque on the door when you, uh, when you walk in the building. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now they, now they can charge more for leases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. The other thing that's really valuable for BOMA is professional networking as an individual, being a part of a community where you can meet with mm-hmm. other colleagues mm-hmm. and learn to advance your career or learn to advance your training. I think it's a huge asset. I actually moderated a panel discussion about two months ago in Vancouver, and our guests were um, a number of the heads of property managements from some big companies like Collier's and Oxford, for example, and, and some regional players as well. And the biggest takeaway that they had was that the connection that BOMA provided them when they were starting their careers gave them the opportunity to advance and move because they as individuals stood up for each other or had connections in the industry that they could make referrals to, mm-hmm. you know, trade jobs, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think the value is really there. So if there are any property managers out there that are not a part of BOMA, I'm going to plug it. Yeah. You should join. <laughs> Good. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Do you want to keep talking about Martello or is there anything else you want to mention about Martello? I think for everyone listening, we really want to get into the, the Romig, but, mm-hmm. but let's talk about Martello until we're sure, satisfied. Yeah. I mean, really just to conclude, we're a family business, so we've been around since the 80s. And we're focused on our core asset classes and helping high net worth individuals. And we're going to continue down that path. Uh, I think there's value there for sure for our clients. But uh, that what we have done in that space has allowed me the opportunity to see the problems that are going on in other areas, which is why I ended up founding Romig, which is similar to BOMA in that it's a collection of professional property management companies working together. So. Well, let's go then. So Romig, Real Estate Owners and Managers Insurance Group. So Mm -hmm. it's self-explanatory, but why don't you come up with why you picked Romig or why you picked that acronym? Yeah, so uh, just to reference your earlier conversation again with Remco when he was talking about naming 
quadrille and how he was pulling his hair out trying to figure out what to, you know, what's a name that means anything and connects with the listener. For me, naming this insurance group entity faced a similar dilemma. But I was inspired by BOMA because what we're doing is very much similar. And so I would think that the naming should also be similar so that you can communicate the message. That makes sense. So what is, yeah, what's, what's the origin? Yeah. Where were you having a beer with somebody and said, hey, have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever noticed that we're paying too much in insurance? You know, yeah. What's the origin of this? Well, it wasn't a beer so much as over spreadsheets, I guess you could say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we uh, we did a deep dive into our book of business. So uh, in insurance- You mean Martello's property management book? Y- yes, yeah, okay. yes. So- you know, in anything with statistics, you need a, a relatively broad sample size. So I think they use a thousand as the rule of thumb that you need. We didn't have a thousand nodes of data ourselves, but through collaboration with some of our other friends in the industry, we were able to pull together enough information for us to be able to see physically over a five year period that our losses as a group were way below what the industry had essentially priced us at. So you might not be aware, but typically when property insurers rate property, their expectation is that about 70% of the premiums that are paid will end up being incurred as losses. So if you're buying a policy for 10 grand, their expectation is that 7,000 of that will end up becoming actual tangible losses that they have to pay out in the future. And then the $3,000 is their profit. $3,000, a combination of commissions paid to brokers and profit. Yes. And is that a rule of thumb across you know, outside of real estate when you're insuring fine art or if you're insuring boxers' hands or anything, any of the kind of weirder stuff you hear about being insured? Or is it uh... Generally, it's, it's like gravity. It kind of migrates to that point because of the competitive nature of insurance, but it depends on the asset class. For property in particular, yes, 70% is the rule of thumb. But what we found is that our losses, again, were substantially below that 70% number. So logically speaking, we realized that we as professionals were essentially subsidizing the losses of the average property. Warren's using the royal we. You're talking about like, like, yeah, like, yeah. like professional property managers across the country at large, right? Yeah, that's right. And I, mean, I think what that comes down to is really the nature of professionalism and the value that the property management community brings to investors in property and reducing risk and controlling risk. It's just not going valued today in the space. So- I mean, education, training, knowledge, you know, how do you prevent slip and falls at properties, you know, line painting, all these little things that go ignored at, uh, at standard non-professionally managed properties, we as professionals take care of. And so we have a lower risk profile accordingly. And so let's go a little bit. We're going to, we've talked about this before. We're going to start running at the nitty gritties of like the general sort of property insurance and what is property insurance. And of course there's the liability component to it. And then there's the property level. And I guess the value that you're finding is, you know, you're managing, the professional managers are making sure that the boiler and machinery are maintained better, right, throughout the life of that of that particular component, educating on slips and falls, getting your salt out more quickly. Like, there's just a lot of things that you do that doesn't get captured in the sort of the actuarial insurance underwriting. Yeah, that's exactly right. Is there any right. other examples you can think of that really kind of bring more value from a property manager's perspective? I mean, really, our focus is on, at, you're correct in saying that the actuaries are not properly pricing the value of professionalism. And that's really focused on the property classification. Liability is a, uh, a very, very broad policy that ends up being purchased. And it mixes, again, with 
many other professionals in the world, not just professional property managers. There's no special professional property manager liability policy, although maybe that would be a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and the liability coverage is mostly for things like slip and falls, by and large. Yeah. Whereas property is the bigger ticket component of that $10,000 imaginary premium. That might be, say, 9000 of the 10000 Right. And so if we can reduce the costs within that bucket, that's really where the savings truly come through. And that's through doing things like regular salting, line painting, all that, the little things, dealing with the little things. And do insurance companies recognize that at all at the moment? No, I don't believe so, at least by and large in the community. That being said, as part of our process, we're collaborating with insurance companies in Canada, and we've recently found a like-minded carrier who agrees with our thesis and our data points and has agreed to um, essentially to rate our group of business differently than Hmm. the standard book of property business that's out there. So that's a unique point for us. So then would you be vetting the participants that are coming in under your umbrella? Yeah, that's right. So the way we operate now is kind of referred to as a a managing general agent, which is a little bit different than a broker in that we are particularly focused on the way you would call underwriting characteristics or the risk profile of each member of our group and how they manage their book of business. You know, are they professionals or are they kind of one-off operators and making sure that the quality of the people within our group stays high and that the risk stays low. And I suppose that for building owners, they're looking for third-party property management. The ability to get cheaper insurance rates would offset some of the fees they're paying. It would increase the value proposition of this group of property managers to their clients, their ultimate clients. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it really does drive home the value of professional managers. And as part of our process growing as as a group, you mentioned that this is a pit stop for me. So I'm on my way through. My next stop is the Maritimes, which is going to be really fun, I think. I'm being hosted by BOMA, BOMA New Brunswick and BOMA PEI. And we're going to be road tripping around and meeting a bunch of our professional colleagues and growing the network of connections. But the reason why the Maritimes makes a lot of sense for us is that I found that the value proposition we're bringing to the table really resonates in economies that are not quite as strong as Vancouver and Toronto. The reason being is that, you know, in the big cities, commercial real estate is very strong right now. We're in a, you know, a bull run, basically. Buildings are full, rents are going up, tenants are paying their rents. So landlords aren't so motivated to focus on cost control as they are in economies where it's a little bit weaker, say Alberta and the Maritimes. If your building, say, a third empty, then every dollar that you can save ends up in your pocket as either as earnings or reduced losses. And so, yeah, it makes a lot more sense for us to work with those landlords. So uh, just for clarity, so the intention, of course, is then to get a whole bunch of members or what, what would you, the participants, what would you classify these other property management professionals? Yeah, yeah. So they would be participants in the group. In yeah, the group. That's right. And so they would sign a contract in some form or fashion. Are they putting collateral up or they're just becoming a member and you're vetting them? I mean, I, I, let's give me, go there first. Who do you take into this? Because you can't just take everybody, I'm assuming. Yeah, like, there has to be right. a, a bar. And how do you set that bar? Is there a professional designation that everybody on their staff must have or what, what is the the barometer to make sure that they're good enough to be part of your part of Romig. You're right. And that is a work in progress. How do you vet somebody? And that's something that the underwriting community in the insurance world would also really like to know. We just have to work through it. So at this point in time, our method is simply by uh, referrals, warm referrals, connections, involvement in the community, scale and breadth of business. Sure. Generally speaking, 
if a company employs a staff of property managers, it's generally speaking good to say that they are well run. There are many companies out there that don't employ property managers at all. They might be run by accounting staff or, you know, what have you. They generally would not be as professionally run. And these can be professional managers that are managing the properties on behalf of landlords or landlords that have their own professional management department? Yeah, that's right. So we, Martello, are a third-party management company. However, other companies, say Manulife Real Estate in this building, they own their building, they employ property management staff, they are clearly professionally operated entities, so it would be a good qualification. So you would let Manulife join Romig? For sure. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> yeah. give me a call. <laughs> so, so as part of it is more, I guess, a qualitative approach. It's it is, Your yeah. reputation, just your connection with the market, then uh, something you could easily fit into an Excel spreadsheet. Exactly, yeah, which is okay. probably why something like this hasn't happened in the past, because under That's a challenge, yeah. It's a huge challenge, yeah. Is there not a professional management designation like you can become isn't there there's some sort of acronym behind your name you can get that says yes I've passed some tests or written some tests I have some of them myself yes they are out there but you know I guess yes generally speaking if those letters exist then that would be uh, indication of professionalism on on behalf of the individual because it's not dissimilar it's not quite the same but you know in the environmental so the ESA environmental site assessment world there's the CSA so that's federal government standards they set these Canadian standards and every person that signs off on the documents has to have a PNG, and that's just right. kind of the way they do it. You have, you have a PNG, or they have a couple different, you know, equivalent uh, designations, but that's just the the bar, and they make it real easy that way, yeah. right? So, diploma in urban land economics that we are all either done or in the process of doing that, I guess, duly would be yeah. the letters for that one. But there's others like CIM. That's uh, I guess mostly it. In- you yeah, have yeah. the math of investment real yeah. estate. I think there's a property like, management component of it. There is. I haven't really got into because, it. Yeah. Um, the connection didn't seem immediately obvious to me, but yeah, there is a, w- a path, I think, to that certification through CCIM. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, as soon as Aaron finishes his last two courses, I think just a few more, and you could be a professional. There we go. Manager. There <laughs> we go. Hey-o. There's also a RPA designation, which I have through the Building Owners and Managers Institute, which is an affiliation of BOMA. Again, so it's, there's lots of different ways to get it. There's lots of different ways. And I guess ways, you're yeah. kind of trying to figure out how to carve it up to get some sort of standard, because if you have a... If you have this group, the insurance providers are going to need you to validate, I guess, in yes. some form or fashion, right? Yeah, figuring out a standard, that would certainly be valuable, but that's a little bit down the path yeah, from where sure. we are today. But so you asked a question about, you know, how do members or participants end up joining? So when we were originally setting up the group, I was debating whether or not to do what you had suggested, you know, form a group kitty and make everybody pay into a pot kind of deal. But there was quite a bit of pushback because many of the the people that we were talking to didn't really want to put their own risk on the line, but they did want to benefit from their professionalism, which was going undervalued. So uh, instead, what we decided to do was set up originally as a standard brokerage house. So you would, if you, Aaron, were a, uh, a professional property manager, you would call us up like we were a standard broker that you already work with today. The difference is our focus is different. We're not just focused on placing the policy. We want to make sure that you fit the criterion, that that intangible criterion, so that you would be, and your assets would be a good fit in the group so that we would all benefit for the future. Right. Yeah, because one bad apple really will spoil the the entire thing. Yeah, right? and that's always the case. I mean, in insurance, it's all about averages and big losses happen. You know, fires, floods, earthquakes, I guess they do occur. Fortunately, in Vancouver, we haven't had a, the big one yet, which is good, but we still price for it. So. Yeah. Well, I, we frequently get, I suppose, call it negative feedback from Ontario borrowers 
who don't think they should be paying for earthquake insurance in this province, but it is a minor but real risk, I suppose. Yep, there yeah. is a chance that it would occur. Yep. Yeah. What do you view as the the discount for this group of preferred property managers in terms of discount, in terms of, I guess, payouts the insurance company's making and discounts for insurance rates that are being paid? Yeah, so our value proposition and what we're trying to achieve is a combination of two different cost reduction points. So when our standard, when our property management colleagues are buying in the marketplace today, they're essentially every time buying through a standard broker that charges a commission. So that's one cost layer, commissions. The second cost layer is the value of professionalism that's not being correctly priced in. So those two items combined, our objective is to save our group participants anywhere from 15 to 25% over the long term. That's our target. And for our participants who purchase in aggregate for their portfolio more than a quarter million dollars a year in insurance coverage every year rolling, that 15 to 25% adds up very fast. And when you translate that into capitalized value for, say, multi-res properties, it ends up becoming significant value added for their portfolio. Because, of course, you, you pass on insurance costs to full buildings, which is why you mentioned you're not jumping into Toronto in the, in the immediate future. But for landlord's perspectives, you're now you're able to offer a lower TMI cost to your potential. Because, because obviously tenants don't really care where the money's going, whether it's going to landlord's pocket or, or insurance, where it goes, but they look at the total, the total combined all-in mm-hmm. rate there. Yeah, in the, in the event of triple net leases, but there are, there are a lot of landlords that, are, that play in that gross lease space. And then, of course, yes. on the multifamily side, that's just an expense that you technically don't pass down. I guess you maybe you, you price it in a little bit. but mm-hmm. So where are you going now? Like, I guess you're, you're almost maybe in two different paths. One is gaining awareness from the property manager, the landlords, and getting membership or getting sort of participation, uh, participation from yeah. that group and, and building, we talked about critical mass, because you need enough to really show the value to the insurance providers. But I guess there's also finding the insurance providers that are willing to, to take your message and, yeah, and incorporate right. into yeah. your underwriting. Yeah. So how's that going? You know that, yeah. So I mentioned we've got a, we now have an insurance carrier on side who agrees with us, which is huge because for a long time we were struggling to find a home or a like-minded carry to work with us. But now that we've got it, it's massive. So now it's just a, a matter of building up our critical mass, achieving scale. So have they given you a savings. number? Have they said you have to have you know participants with you know 300 units or 300 buildings? Like How do you know at that point where you kind of, okay, we're going to start issuing insurance or really start showing this works? Yeah. So as a part of this process, they've given us hints, but nothing hard. So anywhere between, say, 2 million to 5 million in premium value. That's kind of the neighborhood that they want to be at for us to be able to drive savings, which makes sense from a scale perspective. Right. So, is that a translatable number to uh, square feet or anything that we could understand a little un- uh, better? Unfortunately, not no, okay. really, because it depends on the asset class, the building, the location, and a myriad of other factors. So, it's a lot of buildings. It's a lot of buildings, yeah. <laughs> Achievable. But like, a lot like of we're talking like 200 buildings, 1,000 buildings. Can you just give us? I know it's really hard to do that, but just so yeah. we can conceptualize. So, in my experience, the average property premium is perhaps $15,000. So, Right. So if you need five million, a thousand, someone do the math. Fifteen hundred buildings, something yeah, okay. hundred, okay. something like that. Okay. And again, that's probably why something like this has not happened before, because it's very challenging to build up that critical mass of a concentrated group of professionals. But since I am personally already connected through the Boma community, I can connect with each of these members or these participants on a direct basis. How many do you have right now? So I'm very excited. We have reached an agreement with Candarell to do a pilot case 
Candarell and Humphrey Management in Alberta. I think it's going to be really exciting. I think we're going to be able to drive great value for them. And we're also doing pilot cases with some smaller regional players in British Columbia. So combined with Martello, Candarell potentially, assuming that goes well, and the smaller regional players, we'd be up to five participants now, I think. Okay, great. And so we're trying to expand over towards the Maritimes, as I mentioned before. There's more out there, which I think sure. our value resonates. And yeah, we'll just keep going. I think growing. this is one of those games, as you collect and earn more participants, so to speak, you're almost then going to go look for other insurance providers because I think the idea is you've got three or four that you can leverage against each other, right? right. yeah. <laughs> or, or is the idea just to have one and just keep that one, one relationship and that's the only one you go to because there's just value in, in having a sole provider? Actually, you know, Interestingly, what we have found is that there is greater value in having a sole provider, a sole like-minded carrier, because otherwise, if we dilute our group, our concentrated lower risk profile, then it all just ends up becoming the same pricing as what's already out there in the marketplace. So we really have to collect and concentrate simplify and streamline the purchasing process. Right. And so that insurance provider is effectively giving Romig the benefit that they're certifying the quality of the property management and then giving the discount based on your sort of Romigs. Like you're almost the certification. That's right. right? Yeah. yeah, we are the, I guess, the gatekeeper, so to speak, or the vetting place. Right, yeah. so if, if a landlord out there wants to access the better premiums, they have to get validated by you. That's right. And that yeah. insurance provider is acknowledging that. That's right, yeah. You mentioned, um, obviously, you're leaving for Maritimes later today. So what would be your, call it, five-year growth strategy in terms of provinces? Maybe this is yeah. a rating of how you see the individual markets. And you kind of, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you, but you've gone uh, BC, Alberta, Maritimes. Yeah. Do you have a, a further growth strategy? Ideally, we want to be in all provinces. We have to juggle a variety of legislative requirements to do this. The legislative environment in Canada is not really conducive to an entity like ours, a managing general agency, being licensed and doing business in multiple provinces and not necessarily having an office in all locations. So what we found is that the process of us actually buying coverage and rating property is very much filling in a form and clicking submit, just like you would you know, if you were buying something on Amazon. So we're using technology to try and automate the wrong term, but digitize the purchasing process and streamline it. So that being the case, if we can get licenses in multiple provinces and we can offer our solutions through an online-based platform, then there's no issue with service delivery. Whatsoever. Well, you're going to have participants that have properties all over the country, yeah. right? I mean, that's the Candorel for sure, that they yeah. must own assets in every every jurisdiction, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm confused with just how it will work then. So I'm Candorel because we're using them as an example. Then I want insurance. I just bought a property and I want insurance. So they come to you online, I guess, submit an application, and then you're taking that and you're turning and you're being basically the broker. Or, yeah. I know you don't use that right. term, but you're yeah. effectively the middleman between the insurance provider and then we're, I guess you're, you're getting the discount because of the premium discounts because you're certifying the property manager and then you're taking a bit of a spread just for your costs because yes. it's not a not-for-profit, not right? Like this right. is a profitable endeavor. So I guess I haven't really talked at all about this. So in the industry today, when our prospects, our potential group participants are out there buying insurance coverage, the commission rate on commercial property is 20%. Right. So, and coming from a commercial real estate space where commissions are, you know, not 20%, when I saw that number, I was kind of shocked. So the insurance the broker, right? If I'm an insurance yeah. broker, a candidate yeah. goes to me, I go, okay, I'm going to go. And they go to they go to the market. So they go to, I don't know, three, four providers. Yeah. And then they're trying to get the lowest price. So they're dealing directly with the underwriter mm -hmm. to qualify or the lender if the lender's <laughs> the one setting the requirements. And then whatever they set up, they go back to Candorel and they say, okay, here's the insurance. Mm -hmm. I'm taking 20% of the yes. premium on a one-time 
Every well, I guess year. it rolls every year, right? Every you go to renew every year. So right. that's a good business. <laughs> so uh, as Martello, we were buying about a million dollars a year worth of insurance coverage for, for your our clients, clients yeah. which translate into about two hundred grand a year worth of pure commissions being paid out. So as part of our value proposition, we're really trying to drive down that cost significantly. So brokers hate you guys now. Yeah. Oh yeah, we are not their friend. They do not <laughs> like us. That's okay. First National is the same on the on the finance space, right? We've, yeah. We've broken that or challenged that model. So yeah. keep going. Anyway, so yeah. Yeah, so so, so your so where does your profit come in? I guess. So we're trying to drive down the commission rate to five percent. We think that's a much more reasonable level, especially given that the nature of purchasing process. Once you do an initial underwriting for the property, so you fill in your questionnaire about the property and submit information, every year after that, it's merely an update. There's not a lot of new information that's required. So a 20% commission rate honestly doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess, I mean, if I'm an insurance broker to play devil's advocate, you know, I do provide value. I'm getting you the lowest cost insurance in the marketplace the first time around because I'm taking it to a bunch and I'm doing the underwriting. And, and it, I've dealt with insurance brokers. And it can be a lot of work. They're running around mm-hmm. talking to a bunch of different people. The lender's asking for things. The borrower doesn't want things. Like they, yeah. are, they are providing value. Mm-hmm. But I guess you're saying not every year if it's a 10-year ownership period or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's a question of how much value are they providing and can we provide the same value at a lower price, which the answer is yes. And make it an easier process. Yes. So using technology to streamline the purchasing process, remove back and forth email conversations and what have you that honestly, it's really cumbersome. And from a regulatory standpoint, is there an expectation to have physical offices in the provinces that you're operating in? Is that part of the headwinds? Ontario and Manitoba, I think it was Manitoba, require physical offices. But to my understanding, that can be resolved with, a say, a, what is it, Argus? or No, sorry, Regus, like a WeWork package office space. So we can work in that environment, but we would rather not have to have staff in every location because if we can use technology to establish economies of scale and growth, then we can provide services for cheaper. So, and save real estate costs and salary costs and all of that kind of stuff. It's um, a very outdated way of thinking as well that you need to have a physical office in order to conduct business. It it's is. A- you know, the insurance regulation was really designed for the 18 and 1900s where, you know, there was no internet. And the only way for an insurance carrier to insure a client was to have a physical broker in some market somewhere connecting with farmers or whatever it is. But nowadays, not really necessary. You can do it all online. So would you ultimately open offices if you had to comply in Manitoba and Ontario? Or is there the workaround would be Regis? I think we would open an office. And the reason is we want to have high quality service for our clients in those geographies. So ideally a service center in, in most of the courier. So for example, our office is in Vancouver. And if we're going to the Maritimes, so I would like to ideally open an office in the Maritimes so that there can be local service on the ground. And same thing if we end up in uh, in Ontario, I'd like to have an office here in Toronto as well. So what are you finding the hardest part of this, this process? Well, when I talk to our prospects, uh, the message resonates well with them. They understand sure. it. I mean, it's easy. Yeah. You want to save money? Yes? Okay, join yeah. me, right? Right. I would, so is that that's probably not the hard part. That's not the hard part. The hard part is this is a new concept in this particular space. And there is a comfort level that, property managers have today working with brokers that they know and perhaps have worked with for many years. And so potentially working with a new person with a slightly different method of doing things presents a risk that they have to mentally overcome. So uh, that's really the biggest thing. I guess the hurdle too is probably issuing your first certificate to prove it works, to prove that there are discounts. Have somebody like Candor up putting their hand up saying, yeah, yeah, no, this works and it's been good for us. Yeah. So that's why we're doing test cases 
proof cases. So rather than saying to a professionally operated group, you know, move your whole book over to us, you know, wholesale, one big swoop, we'll just do one, see how it goes. If you like it, great, let's do another one after that and move, you know, sequentially from there rather than have the big risk of moving a whole book of business if it doesn't work out. Mitigate the risk, make it more simplified and streamlined. That's what it comes down to. And so do you, when you're out you know, speaking to people about this, do you point to other industries that have successfully adopted this model? Yeah, actually, it exists in many other industries, but for whatever reason has never come to the commercial real estate space. So you might be familiar with uh, CAA here in Ontario. They're across Canada, Canadian Automobile Association. They were originally formed you know, back in the 40s and 50s. There's various clubs of different vintages, but primarily they were founded for the same reason. The owners of collectible automobiles, they were lower risk drivers than standard drivers out there in the marketplace. And so they came together as a group to lower costs. And I mean, CAA has changed a little bit from those days, but that was their origination, which is very much the same as what we're doing now. I was thinking my first exposure to CAA would have been my mom's minivan, which is not a collectible item. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have changed their mandate over the years. I guess, I guess. You at 17 driving around that thing yeah. is not safe at all, probably. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I mean- what we're doing has happened before, and it is in other industries as well. Commercial fishermen also have the same situation. Yeah, I don't know. It's happened before, but it's new to our prospects. So how long have you been at this? So we originally started up three years ago, but it took two years for us to work through a lot of the kinks and get things rolling more smoothly. We rebranded a year ago to Romig, and yeah, so it's been a year of us officially really as the pushing, real estate yeah. ownership manager. And how long, do you, how long do you think until you're kind of up and running and maybe when do you think you'll meet that critical mass? Or what's the objective anyway? What target have you set for yourself? My personal target is I would really like to achieve the $2 million premium mark. I think that would be the minimum critical mass. And from there, yeah, I mean, who knows? Going, yeah. who knows? And how far are you? Or what time frame, maybe? Time frame wise? Like hopefully um, 2019? Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, it depends if we can connect with a professional landlord who has a large book of business. And they're out there, but usually they're deeply tied into large brokerage houses. And my expectation is that, you know, Candorel is a great opportunity because mm-hmm. they were also in that kind of situation and they're giving us the chance. So if there's more like that, Fantastic. But my my true expectation is that we'll be working with many smaller regional companies at the outset and then eventually be able to work our way up the value chain, so to speak. Because you can't go too small just from a just from a horsepower perspective of trying to operate. You need to, I guess we target mid-sized groups, mm-hmm. get buy-in, get the critical mass. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it, it will be a work in progress. Nothing happens overnight, of course, as you know, when you set this up. Yeah, I mean... These things just take time. It's all about reputation and connection and your professional, yeah, I guess, reputation in the community. Yeah, the podcast took probably uh, a year and a half of planning and there was no regulatory issues for us to worry about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Literally just sitting down and talking into a mic. Yeah. took us a couple of years to get it going. Yeah. So Warren, we end off each episode with a, a question. The question is, if you were to invest in one asset class in what city, what would it be and why? And we do want you to answer that question. We're also going to throw in a follow-up question, which is, if you were to insure one asset class in what city, what would it be and why? So we'd love to hear your take <laughs> on both of those questions. So it's a good question. For the what a property or what asset class would you invest in? Because of my background in the third-party management space, 
I've seen a lot of different asset classes, a lot of different investors buying properties and, and how they've performed over time. So because of that, I am, I would say, asset class agnostic. But instead, what I would look for are some unique demand or supply side advantages. So on the demand side, say unique location or some ability to gain abnormally high rents or the ability to increase rents at an abnormal level. So perhaps corner locations, locations on transit or grocery anchored, maybe that would fit that bill to some degree. Or on a supply side, an asset in a environment with heavy regulatory burden on limiting supply growth. I think Vancouver certainly fits the bill today, especially in, in the industrial asset class for that particular characteristic. I'm not sure what Toronto's like, honestly, but it probably has some regulatory issues as well for redevelopment. Yeah, I think in Toronto, the hardest part is just finding the land. Yeah, right? yeah. And then, of course, the other thing is, as if with everything, price matters, but finding the asset at a discount to the replacement cost of the asset in place. And that being is, if someone, a neighbor, were to open up the exact same property, you would always have a cost advantage. You could always underprice them. You could always fill your building, whereas the competitor would always have a higher cost price, which would be a problem for them. You can tell you have the mind of an insurer because you're worried about risk. You're worried about downside, not upside. <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay, so for your second question, what would you insure? Certainly an industrial, lar- very large industrial building, which is empty with one employee sitting in the middle of the building watching things to yeah. make sure nothing happens. <laughs> that would be the ideal asset. <laughs> so slip and fall is really a big part of uh, the insurance world that it sounds like. Is that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is an I mean, issue. Yeah, yeah. 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 A building with no people in it, I guess is what you're saying. <laughs> a data center or something. Yeah. They, they, yeah. yeah, just nothing but high value computers that need big insurance requirements and nobody around to fall on top of them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks very much for coming on, Warren. I, before we go, why don't you just get, kind of tell everybody how they can find Romig and you know where to reach out to you? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're online, romig.ca. LinkedIn, I'm always active on LinkedIn. So you can yeah. either reach out to me by email on LinkedIn, through our website, or call. And that's R-O-M-I-G dot C-A. That's right. I'll throw it in the show notes as well, a couple of contact points to make it easy. Sure. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks very much, Warren. That was that was really interesting. A topic we've certainly never covered before on the yeah. podcast. So thank that was you. great. Great conversation. And thank you to the listeners for listening as always. If you enjoy it or you think somebody might be a good fit for Warren's business, you know, share the episode with them. This is a good primer. It explains what he's doing. Yeah. And thanks, First National. Thank you, First National. <laughs> thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.